Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. Isaiah 6, 3 says this. It says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. The holiness of God cannot be clearly communicated. It cannot be fully understood this side of heaven. But I do know that the holiness of God is something that's bright. It's something that's pure. It's something that's overwhelming. Yet, it's something that provides a source of comfort and a source of light. In fact, the holiness of God is so miraculous that aside from a relationship with Jesus, we cannot be in its presence. You see, holiness requires holiness in order to be in the presence. Holiness and unholiness can't coexist. And so without Jesus, you and I are too messed up. Thankfully, God had a plan for that. And he sent his son Jesus, put on skin, stepped off of his heavenly throne, stepped into dusty earth to live a perfect life. He was holy as well. He would die a death that he didn't deserve at the hands of men, but he chose it. He would be put in a borrowed tomb, borrowed because he wouldn't need it, but just a short time. And then three days later, he would raise from the dead. And now all of a sudden, you and I have be, been rejoined with this holy God. And with a relationship with Jesus, we can be fully in the presence of that holy God. With Jesus, we can, we can rest in him. We can talk to him. We can question him we can be mad with him but as you get to know God there is one thing you can't do and that is you cannot question his holiness it is perfect it is grand it is miraculous it is splendid his holiness never runs out he is perfectly perfect even creation itself every part of creation cries out and gives testimony and witness to the holiness of God have you ever been at the beach and watched a sunrise on a perfect morning as you watch the water come up over the waves it's it's trying to tell us something it's trying to tell us about the holiness of God or what about the sunset over a mountain chain as you're sitting out on a porch and you watch the sun slowly fade behind the mountains. It's trying to tell us something. It's trying to explain the holiness of God or even a field of wildflowers or a field of sunflowers during twilight as the sun is just at that perfect angle and you kind of gasp in awe of this sight that you're seeing. It's a bad representation, but it's all trying to communicate something. It's trying to communicate that God is glorious, that he is holy, that he is set apart. And so even creation groans and gives us a glimpse of his holiness. In fact, the holiness of God is so essential 
to knowing who he really is, that it's a theme from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end. It's from Genesis to Revelation, it continues to remind us of the holiness of God. 637 times the holiness of God is mentioned from the beginning of the Bible to the end of Scripture. It's trying to tell us something. It's trying to tell you. It's trying to tell me that there is no one like our God. He is perfect. He is powerful. He is patient. He is pure. He is priceless. He is set apart and he loves you. There is a holy God and we cannot approach him aside from a relationship with Jesus. But with Jesus, you have the ability to stand in his presence and worship him for who he is. Exodus 15, 11 puts it like this. Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Today, I want to talk for the next few moments in my title. Normally, I try to come up with a creative title, something to kind of tie it all together, something that you'll remember. But as I was studying and as I've spent time with God going through this, literally, I've got nothing. It's called holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. This is Isaiah 6-3 passage that I just read is one that I read a lot of mornings and it, it really reminds me of, of, my, of who God is and my standing with him. And so I hope today my, my assignment, I believe, from God is, is really simple. It's try, to try to communicate somewhat how holy and perfect God is and hopefully through the Holy Spirit you can see some of you for the first time, some of you can be reminded for the first time in a long time how truly majestic he is. We're gonna be in Isaiah 6. The book of Isaiah is what's known as a prophetic book. Isaiah is a prophet. A prophet is just someone who would foretell and foretell. He would foretell what God told him to say and he would foretell what God was going to do amongst his, his people. And so Isaiah is called to be uh, a prophet. Isaiah's name literally means Yahweh saves, which is interesting because Isaiah is one who prophesied that Jesus would come some 700 years later. And so much of the stuff that Isaiah prophesied we see in the New Testament. But here, Isaiah is, is writing this book, and the theme of the book of Isaiah, if you were to sit down and read it, really is just the character of God, the character of God, and that everything exists for the glory of God. And so Isaiah begins in Isaiah chapter, chapter 6, which is kind of odd because most of the prophets tell about their call at the beginning of the book, but Isaiah waits until chapter 6 to begin to explain his call from God to be a prophet. And he starts in verse 1. And it says, in the year King Uzziah died. Now we've got to pause right there because you have to wrap your mind around who King Uzziah is. It's odd that we're talking about the holiness of God, but yet I'm talking about King Uzziah. I'm going somewhere, okay? King Uzziah was the king of, of, of Judah. He, he took the throne at 16 years old. He took the throne at 16 years old. He ruled Judah for 52 years. And so when Isaiah is writing this, he is coming during a time of people being confused and feeling unstable. Because the Bible says that Uzziah was a 
a king that did right in the eyes of the Lord. He was known as a great planner. He was known as a great leader, and he was a great king. And so he's reigned for 52 years, and all of a sudden he's died, and things are kind of in turmoil. Things seem to be unstable. Things are, are rocky. They're chaotic. They're, they're confusing. They're, things are declining spiritually and morally. Isaiah is being called into ministry when, when a time, in a time where the people are asking a lot of questions, and Isaiah himself is probably asking a lot of questions, like, where do we turn? Where do we go from here? Will it get worse? What's the answer? What, sh- what should we be doing? God, the person that we've looked at for stability for 52 years is all of a sudden gone. God, where are you? This was God's man, but you took, us, took him from us. Where are you? And the answer to that question for Isaiah and the answer for that, of that question for us today is that God is still on his throne. And some of you came into this room today and you have some of those same questions because you have looked at the world around you. You know the life that you live and you are asking some questions like, God, really, where are you? Like, have you looked at what's going on in our world, God? Have you looked at what's going on in our country, God? Have you seen my life? Have you seen the situation I'm in? Have you seen the things that I'm dealing with? God, have you, have you met my family? God, are, where, where are you, God? When will this thing end? God, have people gone completely mad? And I need to remind you this morning, if you're asking one of those questions, I want to remind you that even when things feel unstable, we serve a God who is always able always his throne today is not in question and your questions may come but he is able your outlook may be rough but the uplook is always good because he is always on his throne he never runs out he is never up for re-election he is always seated firmly on his throne always So verse 1 continues, and Isaiah sees God on that throne. He says, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train train of his robe filled the temple. So Isaiah gets this vision, which is just a fancy word for like a mental image given by God. He He gets this vision, and he gets a glimpse of of the holiness of God and God sitting on his throne. Now, obviously the throne, we, don't, we, we know what that represents. We know what that is. That, that's the place reserved for a king and a ruler. But we can't go past this without talking about, about his robe. Isaiah says that the train of the robe literally fills the temple. See, in this time, kings would have, have worn these large robes. In fact, the larger the robe, would have signified the more power and the more strength that, and, that the king had. And so Isaiah sees this, and this robe is literally filling the temple, spilling out of the temple. You see, kings, kings would have had such a big robe that it would have meant literally they couldn't move. So they couldn't do anything. They couldn't serve themselves. They couldn't serve anybody else. They had people to do that. They were so high. They were so kingly that they didn't have to serve anybody. They just sat on 
on their throne. And so what Isaiah is seeing is he is seeing a king whose robe isn't just covering the throne. It's not just pillowing over the throne. No, literally, it is filling the temple. This vision that Isaiah is seeing, it's, it's, it's one that's proving that God is the king of kings. He's not just an average king with, with a big robe. No, he is the king of kings, and his robe literally is filling this temple. I read this, and I want to read it directly. This is what somebody said. They said, when he saw this vision of the heavenly king, he saw a king whose splendorous garments billowed out over the sides of the throne, furled back along the sides of the temple around the back entrance way, and spilled out completely and filled the entire building. What Isaiah is seeing here is he's seeing a visual experience of majesty that is focused in the magnificence of the garments. That is the king. That is the holiness of God so far beyond anything we can imagine that literally his robe is filling this temple. God is on his throne. Then in verse two, it says, above him were seraphim. The word seraphim means burning ones. And each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. Now these these seraphim are, are interesting. As a matter of fact, this is the only direct reference in Scripture that we see of seraphim. But they have six wings in total. They have two that covers their face, two that covers their feet. And so whatever your mental image of an angel is, let's just go with it. It's probably wrong. Mine is too. But let's just go with it. Whatever your mental image is of an angel, you're probably picturing something majestic, right? Something even holy in its own right, right? Something, something big. Now, imagine these seraphim are surrounding this throne with six wings. Whatever mental image you have of the body attached to those wings is cool. But literally, they have two that are covering their eyes. That is how holy and radiant the one on the throne is. That even the biggest picture you can think of an angel, the, 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 big, the best thing you can do the, 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 the angel that, that you see is so prestigious, even that can't be in the presence of the holy God without having to cover their eyes. So they had two for their eyes and they had two for their feet. Their feet were considered a, a dirty body part of the time. And so it was almost like they were too unclean to even have their feet uncovered. These are angels, heavenly beings. These aren't people. These aren't messed up people. No, these are angels. And they can't even look in the face of a holy God. And they're covering their feet because they can't have this filth in the presence of a holy God. And they are worshiping God and they are operating in complete and total humility. Now, as interesting as the angels are, that's not the point of my message today. It's not the point of this passage. Here's what I want us to focus on. Verse 3 says, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. The word holiness, and it means apartness. It means to be holy means to be 
to be set apart. It describes something that is set apart from, from, from other people or from other things. You see, God is so holy, he's set apart from everything else that, that exists. In fact, if everything else, if you were gone, if I was gone, if the mountains crumbled into the sea, if the sea dried up, if the birds quit chirping and everything ceased to exist, God still would be. He relies on nothing for his existence. He is completely apart. He is completely other. He is holy. He is enough. And I want someone to know this morning, and I added this late because I want somebody to know, and I really felt like God wants this, somebody to hear this today, is that God is enough. And so if you feel lonely today, and you feel like everybody has walked out on you, or you feel like you're never going to find Mr. or Mrs. Right, or you feel like nobody cares, people are talking about you behind your back, you feel alone, I pray that you realize that God is enough. Some of you, you're asking questions. It feels like your life is crumbling. I pray you realize that God is enough. Some of you, you're, you're fighting battles that I can't imagine. And you've been fighting them for, too, for far too long. And you're wondering, is it ever going to end? Are they ever going to be healed? Is the grief ever going to stop? Are they ever going to come around and be the people I know they can be? I pray that today you hear me say that while God is working, he is enough. He's set apart. He's holy. And he is enough. Nothing, he relies on nothing for his existence. When everything else shakes apart, he still is. And so these angels, they say, holy, holy, holy. And it's not like they have a stuttering problem. It's not like they couldn't hear. But you know how today, when we want somebody to really know something, we like all cap it. You know what I'm talking about? PSA real quick, y'all. When you're typing in all caps on Facebook, you may think that it looks good or it's supposed to be that way, but the rest of us think you're yelling at us. <laughs> and so like, we, can, we can type in all caps. We can bold things. We can underline things. We can put a bunch of emojis. But... In, in this time period, they didn't have emojis. It was like iPhone 1 generation here. No, I'm just kidding. It was way before. They didn't have emojis. They didn't have bold type. And so one of the things, and you see Jesus doing this in the New Testament as well, is one of the ways that they would make a point and they would um, add emphasis to something is that they would repeat it. And so these angels are so in awe of a holy, set-apart God that literally they say it three times. This is the only time in Scripture where a characteristic of God is mentioned three times. Essentially what they are saying is they, say, they are saying, God, you are perfectly, perfectly holy. This is the only, this is the only characteristic. It, and notice they're not saying love, love, love. They're not even saying grace, grace, grace. No, they are repeating over and over, holy, holy, holy. Now let's just sit here for just a minute. I want you to, to think about the the person that you would most like to meet in this world. Or maybe it's somebody that you did meet that you were 
absolutely in awe of. You probably have this picture that you probably couldn't even talk to him, right? God is so far beyond that person that when you sit in his presence, when these angels sit in his presence, literally the only thing they can say is, God, you're perfectly holy. You're perfectly set apart. You're perfectly different. You're perfectly pure. Holy, holy, holy. Now, although not stated directly, a lot of scholars believe that we do see these seraphim in Revelation chapter 4. And let me, let me read that to you. It says, also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal in the center. Around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in the front and in the back. Some of y'all just got a really creepy mental picture. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a, man, a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Wow. From Isaiah all the way to Revelation, they're still not over the holiness of God. From Isaiah all the way to Revelation, from the first part of Scripture all the way to the end, these angels still can't say anything but holy, holy, holy. So what's our response when we recognize the holiness of God? I think it should be a lot like Isaiah's was. Verse 5, he says, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. We should have a response of repentance. We should have a response of repentance. Repentance means simply to change, to turn around, to go a different direction. Isaiah, when he sees this picture of the glorious and holy King he immediately says, I am, I am ruined. The presence and the holiness of God really should ruin us. And when you're ruined by God, ruined isn't a bad thing. Because it's, it's in the ruined place where you get like Isaiah, and it's in the ruined place where, where you say, God, you're, you're awesome. God, I'm, I'm sorry. God, I, I've messed up. God, I've, I've given in. God, I've, I've fallen short. God, I need you. God, I'm, I'm coming back to you. See, God's holiness isn't an invitation for us to run away from his throne. No, it's an invitation for us to join him on his throne. And so Isaiah says, I'm a man of, of unclean lips. Now, if that was it, the last thing we heard from Isaiah was, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm screwed up. It would be pretty bleak. But he goes on to say, verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. See, even in the Old Testament, God is still offering forgiveness. This coal 
was hot. Remember, the seraphim mean burning ones. And so when he touched Isaiah's lips, it would have purified his lips. But unclean lips come from an unpure heart. And so essentially what this is doing is this offering forgiveness for Isaiah so that he can speak later as, as God uses him the way that God wants to use him. So he purifies his lips so that he can then be the prophet that God's called him to be. And I say that because I think sometimes we have this, this bad outlook on what repentance means. Sometimes we have this, this bad outlook on what conviction means and when we feel bad for our sin or, or when we feel like we shouldn't have messed up. And so the, the, the danger there is that we either deny we messed up or we say, I messed up, and we run away from God because we think he doesn't want anything to do with us. But just like Isaiah here, God can use your mistakes and he can use your mess-ups and he can use it for your future and for his good. The things that you have done in your past— and the things that you are doing right now that go against what God would want for you, they are, they, when he comes and he convicts you of that and he tells you that's wrong, don't let that make you run the other way. No, God wants to use that for your future. He's doing something inside of you, even through your mistakes. He's helping you see who he is. He's helping you trust him. And he wants you to run back towards him, not away from him. And then there's another response we should have. Verse 8. Isaiah writes, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. A response of repentance and a response of trust. When you realize the holiness and the otherness of God, you realize he's worth your trust. That you can trust him. That you can trust him with whatever. That you can trust him with the good. You can trust him with the bad. You can trust him with tomorrow. You can trust him with the past. You can trust him with today. You can trust him when you're happy. You can trust him when, when you're mad. You can trust him in the confusion. You can, can trust him in the chaos. You can trust him with your questions. You can trust him with your instability. You can trust him with the sickness. You can trust him with the hurt. When you see a holy God, the answer is yes, I trust you. And don't you find it odd that God is asking for volunteers? Like, do you realize that God can literally do whatever he wants to do? But yet he calls you and he works with you because he wants you to trust him. And so Isaiah essentially says, yes. It's an open-ended question. He gives God a blank check and he says, yes, whatever you want from me because I recognize your holiness and your apartness. God, the answer is yes. Do you want me to go? Yes. Do you want me to stay? Yes. Do you want me to forgive? Yes. Do you want me to give? Yes. God, the answer is yes because I can trust you because you're pure, you're holy, you're perfect, you're set apart and nothing relies on you for existence. The answer is yes. We have to trust him. With every head bowed and every eye closed, there's people under the sound of my voice this morning, you have never trusted him with even your salvation. You've always felt like you had to have it perfect before you could come to him. That's not the truth. You come to him and he makes you perfect. If you can just have just enough faith to say, God, I trust you with my salvation, just say this prayer. You can say it out loud. You can say it in your heart. Say, Jesus, I've messed up. 
But today I see your holiness. I see how great you are. And my response is going to be repentance. I'm sorry for how I've tried to run the other way. But right now, I come back to you. I believe you died. I believe you rose and I put my trust in you. Come into my life. Make me new. My life is no longer my own. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want you to close your eyes. And just for a moment, I want you to try to imagine as best as you can this scene that Isaiah has seen. The glorious temple. The place that symbolized and literally held the presence of God. An architectural phenomenon. The walls would have been lined with gold. Inside of that temple is a place reserved just for holiness. The holy of holies. In that sense, sits a throne like you've never imagined, like you've never seen. And on that throne sits a king, so radiant, so bright that you have to squint to even look at him. This king is the focus of everyone and everything that's around it. All eyes are locked on this king. There's angels and they're impressive in their own right. But they're serving and they're worshiping this king. That king isn't just any king, but it's the king of kings. The all-powerful, all-knowing, all-glorious, completely holy king. His robe fills the temple, billows over the side of the throne, He's that set apart. The only words that you hear and the only words that you can utter are holy, holy, holy. Standing at the end of time before the throne of grace majesty before my eyes I'll let it take my breath away and then angels fall face down on the floor all to echo